the number one cause of death for people living with diabetes is heart disease. The amount of deaths from autoimmune disease in general is actually higher than heart disease, cancer, diabetes. But stress itself is what we need to learn, to balance, to manage. Otherwise, we will die from the consequences of stress. There are other methods for healing or in healthcare than just what we've been taught or programmed. What if we restored mitochondrial function? They don't care at all what happens to your quality of life. So we're talking about the diet style that's most favorably designed to slow the aging process, prevent disease, prevent cancer and dementia and also reverse disease. How do we create spaciousness for ourselves? Every step you take, you go, you evolve. You go, you evolve, you expand your consciousness. You expand your consciousness, you develop more internal power, you become more available, you become more ready. Life then, God gives you more. If you are seeking greater health, wealth, and happiness, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the number one holistic health podcast in the world. Now, here's your host, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and award-winning documentary filmmaker and health researcher, Nathan Crane. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Dr. Michael Gonzalez on with us. I'm going to introduce him a little bit here. His background is incredible, and I'm really excited for this conversation because he has published a significant amount of scientific research and has partnered with and collaborated with many of the top scientific uh, minds of our of this century. Uh, anything related from COVID to cancer to even quantum mechanics, and you know we're going to talk about all of it uh, hopefully in this podcast. So I'm really excited uh, for Michael to be here with us. He's a professor at the Nutrition Program School of Public Health in the Medical Sciences Campus at University of Puerto Rico. Uh, he's a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, has authored over 250 scientific publications. He's obtained several research awards for his work on nutrition, supplementation, and cancer. He has been a consultant to multiple professional teams. He was selected as member of the prestigious Puerto Rican Academy of Arts and Sciences uh, to the uh, Ibero-American Academy of Culture and Sciences. He has just done so much work. Um, it's, it's really exciting uh, what, what you've been up to, Dr. Gonzalez. The findings of his work with intravenous vitamin C, for example, as an anti-cancer agent was published back in 2002. Confirmed by the NIH in 2005, they published the first phase one clinical study utilizing intravenous vitamin C for treatment of terminal cancer patients in 2005. Um, he's brought many new concepts in the scientific field, uh, as including the bioenergetic theory of carcinogenesis, which actually will be pretty exciting to talk about. He's one of the first Latinos and Puerto Ricans to be inducted to the International Hall of Fame of Orthomolecular Medicine. He's authored multiple books, um, including uh, I Have Cancer, What Should I Do? The Orthomolecular Guide to Cancer Management, and on and on. It's just the work you've been doing, Michael, has just been incredible. You sent me over a ton of your published uh, research papers, and I was going through it, and I just, I was like, we got to get you on the podcast and dive into all this. I mean, the work you've been doing has been 
I Thank see. you. Well, you know, I want to leave a legacy uh, in order to help humanity. That's my mission. And I know that's your mission too. So we had to get together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think, you know, I've, I've come to the realization recently, I don't know, in the last five or 10 years, I think, that science is the language of our modern day, right? It, it helps us to understand things at a deeper level. Yes, we need intuition. Yes, we need to you know, tap into the artistic and creative side of our right hemisphere of our brain. Yes, we need to have a spiritual connection and be you know, real connected and aware of our emotional side. But science also helps break through paradigms and false belief systems to bring us into a deeper understanding of what's really going on at a, you know, at a physiological level, at a biological level. So I think it is the language of our modern time, and it can also be weaponized against us, as we saw during COVID, right? Yeah. You bring a very important point is that we have to be, we have to do science, but not, not scientism. And the problem is with scientism, because, uh, you know, the current idea, it's that if, if you cannot explain something with the, uh, with the tools that you have, would that not exist, or it's not true. And mm. I think that's an error. We have to keep searching. I think everything has a scientific explanation. If it, if it occurs in our dimensional physical world, it has to have an explanation. The problem is that sometimes you cannot explain it with the normal laws of biology, of chemistry, of physics, the Newtonian physics, and you have to jump to another level. And that's the level of quantum physics and quantum mechanics. And even though it's kind of blurry there too, even even Planck and Einstein uh, were kind of doubtful of certain things that occur at that level. It's a, it's a very important thing. And it mathematically, it's it, you could prove it. The thing is that since it's a science that it occurs so fast and, so, and it's so small, that the thing is that you have many opportunities, many, many uh, avenues going at the same time. Once you choose an avenue, the other ones collapse. But but and then that opens other more, more avenues. So that's the interesting thing about quantum physics. But you know, a science that starts with uh, with uh, with an idea of Heisenberg of of, of uh, his idea of that that you cannot measure everything. It's uh, so it's very difficult. You cannot be precise. You could, you could give a, a realm. You know, you could have like a, a range of things that can occur. So those are the opportunities. Once you choose one, it, it changes, and it's very interesting because then you have the dual thing about what is uh, energy. If it's really uh, uh, a particle, or if it is a wave, and actually mm -hmm. it's kind of both. And the thing. Uh, I think Tesla is the one that explained it the best because Tesla said that in origin, it should be a particle, but it moves in a sea of energy, which he called the ether. And that sea of energy forms waves. So you have kind of the both at the same time. You have the particle and you have the waves. I, lo I love what you said a moment ago about, you know, we need to practice science, but not scientism, right? Scientism being basically the, re the religion of science where you have this you know, so-called um, indoctrination of you believe this way, this is the only way or else you're outcast, right? You, you, you are um, kicked out from the church, for example, which we saw during COVID. We saw that there was only one science and every other science 
uh, didn't matter. It was quackery. It was junk. It was not looked at. It was put under the shelves. And there was only one science that matters. We even remember hearing Fauci basically say that he was science, right? Saying that if you didn't believe what what he or the CDC were telling you, then you basically didn't believe science. And <laughs> what they were saying every week, they change it. So, so that's their science. But basically, <laughs> it's you know. Uh, these associations, these government agencies, this big pharma, they know how to control what is called the RAS, the reticular activating system. That it's your filter. So uh, they kind of train, they kind of doctrine you to 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 think in a way. And the other things are not, you know, not valuable. They're not true. They're not uh, because it's not what they call their hard science. And I mean, you know, science tries to explain nature. It doesn't go the other way around. So the thing is that we have to be cognizant, you know, of the point that uh, biology cannot be explained by our actual uh, conventional science because you could join together carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, uh, phosphorus, and you don't have life. You could mix mix them, and you don't have that. You need that what we call that uh, vital energy, you know. And that's why I, I'm totally a vital of a, a, a vitalism, a, a vitalist. That's a good point, right? It doesn't matter how 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 many you know components you can put together into a single you know petri dish or in a laboratory. You you really can't recreate life without the life force energy that animates us. I mean, you could build. Yeah, let's say let's say you had the potential to to three D print a human body, brain, and everything. But without that spark, that divine spark of life put into that body, it's not gonna, it's not gonna exist. It's not gonna live. It's just gonna rot and die. In so. one of the papers, I don't even remember which one. I kind of explained that, and I call it the Frankenstein. I think it's a quantum, uh, quantum energy medicine. I think I, I, I talk about that, and I, I named it as the Frankenstein effect. If you remember the movie of Frankenstein, it was a bunch of body parts from different cata- from right. different dead people, and it kind of took life when it received that big burst of that uh, uh, thunder and lightning. And I call it the same way. Actually, we have what we call the RECNAC project, which is cancer ridden backwards, and we want to create a, a non toxic protocol that follows the concepts of the old old cultures like the Chinese, Ayurveda, in terms of managing the body, creating a balance and 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 kind of pinpointing, helping the body restructure itself. Mm. The point is that some, we've been pretty successful in many cases, but sometimes we had not been successful in terminal patients. And and I think if there's life, there's hope. We just know, don't know how to do it yet. But I have a very hard feeling, a hard impression. I'm sounding like Linus Pauling, which is a good example to follow. <laughs> it's that uh, I think that you should give all these cofactors like mitochondrial enhancers, CoQ10, alpha lipoic acid, magnesium, vitamin C, the B complex. I think you need these to be present. Uh, but at the same time, and the lipids also, phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylserine, I think Garth Nicholson has a pretty good idea of what he calls lipid replacement therapy to reestablish that uh, uh, membrane uh, electric interaction 
But at the same time, you need all these cofactors, but you need an energy to direct those cofactors. You need information that would uh, enhance these uh, these possibilities. So that's why we're looking into stem cells. We're looking into exosomes. Uh, I think Pier Mario Brava from Italy has a good idea how to use exosomes of, of a specific uh, time, of a specific development time that will really enhance information to differentiate the cell. And at the same time, we need that energy to burst and turn on that mitochondria again. And I think that the lasers of different wavelengths will, will do that job. There's already information about uh, uh, the infrared and red uh, lasers having impact on the mitochondria, especially in the cytochrome B. But I think that other colors like red, yellow, blue are also, there's other probably chromophores that we have not identified yet. But look at this. It's in, the, in nature, we receive all these very important information wavelengths from the sun. Right. It's basically photo photobiomodulation, right? It is without that light from the We need the light from the sun for you know, yeah. many mechanisms in our body and many mechanisms we probably don't even understand scientifically yet. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of quantum physics in that. But the thing is, you get all these wavelengths from the sun, you, you, you get them basically in the skin and you get, it, you get it basically in the pineal gland. And the pineal gland distributes these waves throughout the body. And then you, have the, you should have the grounding in order for all this to cycle these electrons. But the point here is that uh, does that, when, when you, when, that's excellent when you're, when you're healthy or almost healthy. But when you're in a, in a disease state, in an unbalanced state, uh, these wavelengths from the sun, which are great, are not uh, concentrated enough. They don't have the coherence necessary to impact the chromophores in a form that will change physiology. That's why we think lasers, which are very coherent, they're monochromatic, they're going to do a specific job. And I think these various colors, and they're already available uh, in intravenous lasers. Right. Uh, the point here is that I'm not sure of you know, the distribution of how much time you need of each of the colors to really impact the different disease. But I think the key is there. And we're looking into that. I don't know if my lifetime will be enough to check that out. I have my my youngest son, uh, Michael Joe, will probably will take care of that. <laughs> but the thing is, and we have a little one, Michael Andre, and my, uh, that we're preparing him too. He's three my, years old and he could explain you the energy from the sun. And is that Michael, he, Michael the third or how many Michaels do you have in your family? <laughs> that's Michael number the four. I, I wrote, I, I bought him a T he just turned three. I bought him a t-shirt. It's Michael Gonzalez four. The legend continues. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we have four nice. Michael Gonzalez. So, but the thing here is the point is that I think the key is that we have to, we need that Frankenstein effect. We need that that high energy to impact, to direct the, the electron transport system to create ATP. Once you start creating ATP from the oxidative point, you're going to need oxygen also. That's why we're looking into the hyperbaric chamber, the IV lasers, vitamin, intravenous vitamin C, all these mitochondrial cofactors. We're looking at a diet which, is, which has a tendency to be alkaline, which are a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruits. Uh, we have looked into keto. We have looked into paleo. We use mostly paleo, and I, and I could tell you why. I mean, keto, it's when, when we have a cancer that are growing real fast, we use the keto, but the body adapts to the keto in about three months. Yeah. And the point here is it seems to be, a, uh, I think uh, Dr. Thomas Seifert has a kind of 
figured out that he's seen that it's an issue with uh, glutamine, that the cells started using it instead of sugar. So it kind of, that's why you can't use too much protein in the keto diet. But the thing is that people have been using the wrong fats too. You have to balance the fats in the keto diet. It has to be high, but you have to balance between omega-3, omega-6, omega-9, and saturate and, and saturated. And I think people are not doing that. They're kind of over uh, overeating and some of them mostly saturated. And it it and you know it's do, it doesn't really enhance that much tumor growth, but it kind of uh makes you uh you know, that the diet eventually will not be as effective. So we're looking into that. I think Thomas Seifert has more information than, than I do at that point. We see, we see, I've interviewed Thomas and he's got some really interesting stuff for sure. And we, we know that keto is not ideal long-term for a lot of reasons, a couple you just mentioned, uh, but it can be interventional, short, you know, but then a few months, but there's, there's some challenges with that. We see a lot of results with cancer patients, a lot of great results uh, when putting people on a really high vegetable, uh, plant-based diet, specifically cruciferous vegetables, and then a lot of the anti-cancer foods—the berries, the herbs, the the nut—you know, small amounts of nuts and seeds, you know, the legumes, uh, the anti-cancer uh, legumes, the mushrooms. So on a plant-based diet, you know, moderate protein, high carbohydrate, but whole food, healthy carbohydrate from you know healthy grains and vegetables which have all the incredible anti-cancer properties the sulforaphanes from the cruciferous vegetables um and i've just i've seen case study after case study of you know cancers completely being reversed with that diet hey i just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode i hope you're enjoying it so far as a special thank you for tuning into this episode i want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book, absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, let me tell you, uh, our our point here is that we have been most successful in, with our cancer patients uh, using the paleo diet. But it's a paleo that's, uh, uh, I would say it's kind of, it, it doesn't use that much animal protein. It uses a little bit, you know, it's like, like the palm of your hand two times a day. That's about it. And it's just what it seems necessary to maintain, you know, the necessary protein for the immune system but not to enhance tumor growth. But as I tell you, in cancers that are growing real fast, a lot of brain cancers and stuff, we have used the keto. It has been successful in, in restraining growth. Cut out its major fuel source right away, which which is glucose. You cut that out, and the cancer has to has to adapt, right? And which is, there are some cancers that can actually feed on ketones as well. Most people don't realize that. Um, but, but, it's not that common, but the main one is glucose. But as you said, it can then go to glutamine. So um, that becomes, you know, uh, a little bit of a concern it's as well. A race between the things that you can restrain and, and reactivate uh, oxidative metabolism, balance again the immune system, make it more available. And sometimes these tumors create like some type of a glucose membrane. That's why, that's why uh, the uses of certain enzymes in high doses has been affected in, in terms of systemic, breaking down that mucus thing so the immune system can, could recognize it and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, no. the, uh, the the high dose uh, pancreatic enzymes. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's a whole protocol on that. Yep. So I want to go back to a little bit. You you've published some uh, papers on um, uh, on COVID, and you put together an incredible group of scientists and doctors uh, to co-author some of these papers with you. You know, Peter McCullough. Um, you know, uh, there was one you put together an international consensus report on SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the immune system, an orthomolecular view. And you published this. You had what, like 50 co-authors on this, top scientists and doctors, virologists, you know, from uh, immunologists, all different kinds of uh, doctors, Michael Friedman. You have, I'm just looking at the list here. Um, and you published this in uh, 2022. So what is this, May? Of twenty two oh Paul Merrick as well. I mean a lot of really incredible people. For those who are watching, actually, I'll just share this. I think yeah. Pierre Corey is there. Ryan Cole is there. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive group. What was it? Can you see this? Is this the paper? Is it showing up on your screen? Uh, antiviral mechanisms of vitamin C. Oh, it picked, that's another one. It picked that's the wrong pretty- one. I want to talk about that one too, but um because I think that was really I think the timing of that was really interesting. Is this the, oh, geez, is my screen yeah, showing? That's the antiviral one. That's, that's an interesting thing because that's the most antiviral thing that I have ever seen has been IV vitamin C in, in, in large doses. All right, well, this is the one my computer wants to select right now. So let's talk about this. So what's interesting <laughs> about this one is you published this in September 15th of 2020, right? So pretty early into COVID. Uh you had a lot of great authors on this one as well. I think 30, looks like 30 different scientists and doctors and a lot of universities that, that uh, co-authored this with you. Um, basically, why don't you talk about what this paper was about? And yeah. um, oh, Let me tell you what's there that, that will be, it, it's very interesting. We have there uh, one of the Chinese doctors that were in Wuhan that used, that saved 50 patients that were, in really bad shape with COVID, he saved them with IV vitamin C. Really? And he's, let me see, uh, yeah, Dr. Peng, Sion Peng. So he was one of the doctors in Wuhan. And uh, so the, the, the idea is that we wanted to make sure that at least out there was inf- information of the antiviral, of the various antiviral effects of vitamin C, which it has direct and indirect effects. And basically, I think the most important one is that the ones, the, the, the mechanism that it has with the white blood cells, especially uh, the T lymphocytes, that's our first defense when we have a viral infection. And what, what we want to do is reduce the viral load. And that's the way, if you could reduce the viral load, uh, the, the disease, even if you have, you get the disease, it's going to, it's not going to be that bad because you don't have that much viruses infecting different tissues. The problem is when you have a high viral load that invades your tissue, the second response, it's the antibodies and the antibodies create these cytokines and the cytokines, the problem with these cytokines is that once the, the virus invades the tissue, it's going to attack the tissues because the virus are in the tissues. And that's where the damage occurs. And when you have a cytokine storm, that's where you have the trouble. And the problem was that people were getting to the hospital in a bad shape and right. they were given, they were, they were intubated with oxygen, pure oxygen. 
and that really increases more the, the the cytokines and the free radicals. So most of the people that were intubated died, 90%. So the idea, what they should have done, is put it with high-dose IV vitamin C and put them in a hyperbaric chamber, not direct, you know, uh, intubation with oxygen. Mm. So uh, we talked this with Dr. Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey and, you know that uh, they did the first studies with sepsis, and sepsis looks very much what of what happens with the COVID. So I don't know why that he has had so much trouble in his hospital. He was even banned of using vitamin C, and one patient died. I remember seeing him cry. He's a, that's the type of doctor that I want. <laughs> right. So, well, and the the crazy thing was, you know, at this time, so there was no vaccine available, and there were no preventative measures being taken and doctors who were trying to think out of the box like this and say, hey, what if we try some vitamin C? What if we try some zinc? What if we try some things that we know have antiviral properties and immune modulating properties? Why don't we try these things to help the patients while we're you know, waiting on the so-called you know, miracle drug? And the hospitals wouldn't allow doctors to do it. They would lose their licenses from state boards. They would uh, you know, have all kinds of issues come up. And, and there were multiple papers like this where you know, doctors and scientists are coming out and saying, look, we need to be treating the patient with whatever way that we can right now to help them. And, you know, there were there weren't many options early on that you could do. I remember uh, Dr. Dr. McCullough saying that uh, they were not giving early treatment. They said, stay at home when you get back, go to the hospital. And when they got to the hospital, they were already invaded by these cytokine storms and this high viral load. And they were not able to save them. They, they, it, people who got early treatment, most of them survived very well, right. even though not even you know, just normal things like uh, uh, not even, well, they, most of them gave them vitamin C and gave them zinc, which in, zinc is a very interesting thing because it inhibits reverse transcase. But it has to be in a high dose. And the thing is, it needs to, it, it's a large molecule. So it, you need like a, uh, another type of like a quercetin or something like that uh, in order to carry it into the cell. But it's very effective in, in, in reducing reverse transcriptase. So that way, the virus cannot reproduce. So it's a combination of things, vitamin D, vitamin C. Uh, but and, and they had a protocol. They developed, uh, Dr. Marek and Dr. Uh, Corey developed like an interesting Corey, yeah. protocol. Yeah. And I, I was still fighting with him because I wanted him to even increase more vitamin C and in in. That, that was the first protocol. And the second one, he sent me an email and said, you should be happy because we increased the vitamin C. <laughs> yeah. Well, the so the conclusion, I'll, I'll read it on this paper that you guys published early or published in early in COVID. So this was in 20, this was in uh, September of 2020. Uh, this was, so this, this was public, right? And so you said vitamin C can be used as a standalone, standalone therapeutic agent to eradicate a viral bacterial infection if given in high doses as constant infusions. Based on this mechanistic rationale explaining the therapeutic use of vitamin C to prevent inflammatory hyperactivation, myeloid, and lymphoid cells, we conclude that supplementation with high-dose vitamin C appears to be 
able to both prevent and help treat respiratory and systemic infections. Ascorbate at sufficiently high doses can prevent viral disease and greatly speed recovery from an acute viral infection. So the thing was, was you didn't have any, you know, clinical trials of vitamin C and COVID. And so they just threw this information out, right? And they said, well, you, you can't use it. But that's not how science works. And that's not how medicine works, right? There are so many off-label drug uses that doctors prescribe every single day where there aren't clinical trials for that particular drug for that particular use. But the doctor knows that, hey, it has similar mechanisms, so we can prescribe this. Now, when you're talking about vitamin C, they just say, oh, no, this isn't, you know, this isn't a drug that we can regulate. So it's not even an option. And then, you, and then doctors were silenced who were talking about this. My, my channels were shut down. Social media channels were shut down. YouTube channels were shut down. I was sharing these kinds of reports and scientific articles. And I wasn't saying anything like vitamin C can cure COVID. I was saying, look at this, you know, scientific, look at this massive body of, of published and peer-reviewed scientific information on the effects of, you know, vitamin C uh, for viral infections. Because there's a lot actually in the literature. And then they would shut down my channels and then they would shut down doctor's channels for talking about this. Um, it's crazy. So what did you guys, what happened to you guys when you published this? What happened after you published anything? Not really, because we published it in the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine. <laughs> but let me tell you what has happened. We had a, we have an article that's been dwindling around for about a year. And it's about the protocol to attend the post-vaccine damages. And since it's controversial, we have been kicked out of four. I mean, we send it to four journals and they were not interested. No, no, we cannot, we cannot publish that. So it's still dwindling around and we... We actually, we didn't publish it in the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine because we sent so many things there and we wanted to publish it some, some other place because actually they're kind of uh, uh, back, you know, they're back on their articles and still there's some articles that we sent earlier about, there's one on, on nasopharyngeal contamination using iodine that may even prevent from the infection in the first place. And that has not even been published because it's, it's it's you know all these articles have been sent there, so we didn't want to send it there. We sent uh, the post, uh, we sent the long haul uh, protocol for long haul COVID, and that was published. That was published, but actually this one, which is probably more important because it's the post vaccine to you know to attending mostly uh, coagulation issues, heart issues. It has not been, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. That's we crazy. have tried journals of naturopathic medicine and nobody wants to get into that. How do they deny you? How does a journal like that deny you from being able to publish it? What do they well, say? No, they just say that they, they're not interested in that article. That's, that's it. All they say. That's all they say. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So this is, that's scientism, right? That's scientism. When, when the top journals won't accept uh, articles. Oh, no, no. Top journals will never publish this. We send it to naturopathic journals, and even they, they don't want to publish it. <laughs> so it's a, it's an issue. Uh, it has to be somebody who will dare publish it. I think there are very few journals who will dare that. Are there issues with it? Do they take it? A... Let me tell you one thing. You know that the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine is not in PubMed, and that's probably why, because it'll set these types of articles. <laughs> 
And, but you you could Google it, you know, so it's it's you could find it if you really look for it. But it's not available easily. My information, it's not available easily. You really have to search for it. That's why I want to publish it in many places and many in many sites and many things, because people will not be able to get it because it's not easily available. That's so sad. It's so sad that, you know, science um, censors. Uh, these journals can censor science, you know, cutting edge science that, hey, could transform and change and improve the way that we live our lives and take care of our health and take care of our children and take care of our communities, take care of our world. And yet you can't get this information out into the mainstream because, you know, the 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 people who are running these journals won't allow it for whatever reason. You could talk about financial incentives. You can talk about, you know, where they get their funding from. You can talk about the governmental organizations that they're in bed with and the corporations they're in bed with, right? You can, you know, because we know that this always leads back to money and power, you know, where, hey, if you publish these kinds of things, guess what? You're going to lose your grant money. You're going to lose, you know, your funding. You're going to lose, you know, we know that stuff happens all the time behind the scenes. Uh, we know it happens in the media. You know, if you guys report on these things, you're going to lose our advertising dollars. The, the millions and hundreds of millions of dollars we give you in advertising dollars, guess what? That's going to trickle away if you start reporting on these things. You know, we know that that happens. The problem is, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize, and I don't even think I realize to the extent at, at how much science gets censored today. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh that's the only way science can advance if you challenge it. And it's really sad what's happening. But you know, it's big interest, a lot of money going on, and and that's 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 how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> so after this paper you published on vitamin C, since then, uh so in the last almost three years now, do you know of more uh papers that have been published on vitamin C and COVID for treating COVID specifically? I have not followed it directly. I think I collect them, but I haven't had a chance to look at them, but they are many papers since uh, 2020. Uh, other than that paper on vitamin C, we published a very interesting case, uh, two cases that we reported in the Journal of Automolecular Medicine treated with uh, IV vitamin C and mitochondrial enhancers and people uh, having uh, been on, in excellent shape in about three or four days. So, and it's two cases, but at least it gives you an idea how it can be treated early, with, you know, in with people, ha you know, having good results of it. What were the mitochondria uh, enhancers we, that you used? We basically used coenzyme Q10, B-complex, uh, vitamin C, magnesium, alpha-lipoic acid, and we added, uh, because of Garb Nicholson, we added these... Uh, uh, phospholipids, uh, serine, choline, and inositol. And we also use uh, omega-3s, but it has to be omega-3s with vitamin E because it has to be, it, we want to keep the membrane flexible. And when you, once you keep the membrane flexible, uh, it, it could, uh, it could, uh, this, in, this electrical uh, interaction occurs in a, a very easily. So you have a higher production of ATP and the mitochondria is happy. Uh, remember, that my, we inherited the mitochondria from our mother, so it's a female and it's very powerful, but it's very sensitive. So we have to give it a lot of tending, loving care. 
and we don't. We use. You mentioned something that's very important in all the generative disease, especially cancer, and it's the issue that people eat too much uh, refined and processed food, especially sugar and fats. Yep. And that's one of the issues. We eat too many omega six or are pro inflammatory and and decrease an unbalanced immune system. We use too much sugar, which is probably the the culprit of all the generative diseases: Alzheimer, diabetes, cancer. So we have to really be cognizant of that and reduce the intake of these things. Not reduce. I will get it out as as much as possible as I can. Uh, I think if we're if we're aware of that, I think we'll you know if we eat a lot more vegetables. A lot more fruits. Uh, I think we'll be pretty much okay, and and we have to hydrate. Another important thing is hydration. We recently wrote a paper on structured water and cancer, which called the attention of of, of uh, Gerald Pollack. Actually, I have to. He said he read the after and he liked it, but he hasn't. He has not told me that he read the whole article, so I have to send him an email soon and see what he thinks. But I think he uh, he 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 was the one who said publish it. Please publish it. Uh, so we went ahead and published it, and I think it's a great paper. It's on on structured water and cancer, and but I think it it, it talks about cancer, but I think it re- relates to all uh, all degenerative diseases. And it's kind of the first line of protection. It's the uh, extra ex- that extracellular fluid that uh, that uh, that surrounds the, the the cell membrane. I think uh, James Osman also talks about that. So. Pollock calls it the fourth phase of water, right? Where when yeah. you look at the water, you know, we have the three phases, of course, you know, the ice, the liquid, the uh, the steam. But the fourth phase is when they look at it inside the inside the yeah. body, inside the cells. It's actually, it's like a plasma, right? Yeah, and it's like a gel, a crystal gel. It's a flexible crystal and it, it, it permits movement of electrons in, in a specific way that forms like a battery. So it kind of enhances uh, the, all these interactions of the membrane, and it works also as an antioxidant outside the cell membrane. So, but uh, and it's kind of H three instead of H two O, it's H three O. So it's the hydrogen power. So it's it's gaining a lot of interesting things. How how to move hydrogen, uh, and as part of the all these mechanisms to attend or balance uh, what we call the uh, the healthy state, regain the healthy state. Right. So, you know, the, the fourth phase of water or structured water is it's almost you could call it living water, right? It's the water that you yeah. would find inside fruit, for example, or vegetables. Yeah. That water is it's structured. It has a um, a a a more stru- uh, a more structural element to it, you know, and you can see the crystallization of it. And and it responds. What's interesting is it responds. I mean, all water responds, but it responds to sound. It responds to light. It's it's incredible how the all the characteristics of water that that have not been we have not been aware of it. We were thinking of water just a of, of water hydrating and H two O and that thing. And water is so it's a whole intelligent structure that could hold information, provide information, uh, detoxify. I mean, it's so many things that water could do. It's incredible. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At healinglife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, 
Cancer Conquerors and Survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at HealingLife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to HealingLife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net and I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. So what what did you discover about structured water and cancer specifically? Well, we think that it could be part of the restoring the mitochondrial function. Once you restore mitochondrial function, you regain order, regain organization, you uh and you are able to compartmentalize, com, 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 uh, how would you say it? Make it in compartments. <laughs> and and that creates order and organization. And that could, in certain extent, redifferentiate the cell, make the cell differentiate again. And because, you know, the idea, uh, I wrote that by uh, theory of uh, the Bernadette theory of carcinogenesis. But you know that Thomas Seifert, had the same idea. He wrote cancer as a metabolic disease. And I didn't know of him and he didn't know of me. So when we got together, he came. I mean, I think he's more advanced than me. And that because he has the chance of doing a lot of the research. I haven't been, I, I've probably done a couple of experiments only, but he has done more than I did. Than I did. But I, I actually, when I have any doubt, I call him up and you know, send him an email. Hey, Tom, please explain me this. And he he very graciously does every time and sends me his papers and stuff. And he published with the mitochondrial correction paper. Uh, but the thing here is that uh, definitely it, it the structured water is part of the organizing and, and, and rebalancing the healthy state, creating the proper environment for the mitochondria to do its job or to restore it. So uh, I think we can restore mitochondrial function to a certain extent. Other times... I think the, the the beauty of this is that it, it's a two-way thing. You can restore mitochondria or you could push it uh, uh, for uh, cell death because once it, it, it it's aware that it's in problem, it would it will kill itself. It's uh, how you call that? Uh, I forget. Apopto apoptosis. Uh, apoptosis. You could push it to apoptosis or you could restore it. And the mitochondria will decide. The mitochondria is a very intelligent bacteria. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's, you know that it has only 36 genes, and all these genes just codify for proteins of the electron transfer system. The rest of the things, it's a constant communication with the nucleus. That's why communication is so important. And communication can only occur when there's order and organization and enough energy. So that's the issue. Energy is everything. It's everything. We have been, we use energy for diagnosis, but we don't use it for treatment. And that has to change. And, and this is basically looking at all cultures, all ancient cultures that were related to health use energy as part of their, of their therapy. But only us in conventional medicine, we only use it for diagnosis. We don't use it for treatment. And that has to change. 
Now with structured water, doesn't it vibrate in a, like if it was fresh spring water straight out of the mountain, right? That's what we're talking about yeah. when we're, when we're talking yeah, it's about like, water. It's like moving water and the sun has to have that impact from the sun. It's water movement impacted by the sun. And then if you look at it under a microscope, it has a hexagonal um, structure to it, right? It's like hexagons. Yeah. And it's naturally rich in hydrogen. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, more, more hydrogen than the water you're buying in your bottle of water that comes out of your tap that's been treated. That's, you know, if, I mean, what's interesting too from the research that I've seen is with structured water, you need significantly less than it to hydrate your cells than, than just regular yeah. water that you're drinking. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the interesting thing is how electrons can move through it in a very easily way that create a very uh, important in electrical environment, a very protective electrical environment. Uh, and, and that's what really, it's part of the, as I told you, of the what we call the balance of the healthy state. It, it's all intertwined because when you see acupuncture, it moves the energy through more, mostly uh, uh, these channels that are kind of like collagen-like, that are crystal-like. So electrons move very easily in crystal-like structures. Uh, so you, what this what this uh, membrane that's uh, surrounded the muscles is the basically when the where the where the meridians are identified. How you called it? Uh, what covers the muscle? I forgot the yeah the fascia. The fascia, yeah, that's that's where the electrons move because it's a crystal, it's a collagen like, which is crystal like, and electrons move very easily through it. You know what's funny is is the I mean this just shows you how ignorant our science can be. You know, not until recently. The fascia, you know, when doing cadavers and understanding, you know, the the physiology of the human body, they would throw away the fascia as just this waste material. It didn't mean anything. It was like it was just kind of in the way and they would throw it away. You know, this is very recent. I think just in the last 20 years or, or even less where it was just, yeah. you know, just not thought of anything. And now they're looking deep into it and realizing Actually, hang on a minute. Just like you said, the fascia might even be a way for communication throughout the entire body, right? It could be a quantum communication thing that you could have kind of instant communication in that way because, uh, you know, it's it's a combination of electrical flow. And then and once you have a electrical current uh, parallel to it, you have a, a – uh, see if I remember the name of it. Uh, uh, you have a a magnetic field, and the magnetic field—it's where these electrons could move at even faster than the than the speed of light. So it could be an instant communication. That's one of the issues that you mentioned that are mentioned in quantum physics. That communication from the toe could be instantly to the to the brain, and the only way of doing that is not by the nerve system because it's, even though it seems fast. It, it it takes time because it's an electrical chemical way, but you have uh what we call the uh uh the perineural communication, which it mainly could be the fascia, where you have that flow of electrons going on so fast that it could be instant, you know, instant communication.
So uh, it's very, all these things are so interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Back. All cultures, let me tell you, they didn't know the physiology and biochemistry because they understood the body that was something more complex than just this physical dimension that we see. But they understood how to manage these energies and use it in benefit of, 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 of I would say, enhancing our physical uh, presence. So it's very interesting that all these things, that all this study of energy that I have done mainly during the, the pandemic has really taken me back to the to Chinese medicine and Ayurveda because they really understood uh, energy. As you see the chakras, the chakras, you, you have this uh, huge uh, spine, which you have this, uh, this nerve system to the spine, so you have this current. And then what what you see what you talk about chakras chakras are like vortices, so it, it tells you that these are uh, the magnetic fields of that current. So it's it, it makes sense and it combines you know the idea of of Chinese medicine and Ayurveda they're very complementary in that sense. Yeah, what blows my mind about that is you know this is Ayurveda and you know the chakra system the energy system you know, from ancient India, I mean, we're talking thousands of years old, right? Potentially 5,000 plus years old, 7,000 years old. And just like you said, they knew that we had, we have this energetic communication system that runs from the top of the head to our tailbone. And physically, that's our spine. But we also, as you said, we can measure the magnetism from our heart and from the other areas of our body, literally sending out a magnetic vibration just as they draw, you know, people who, who don't really understand it, you know, might look at the, the chakra system on a drawing and just say, oh, that's just some hippy dippy yoga, you know, whatever. But they knew, they knew what was going on with the body and, and our modern science has proven that what they knew was true that our body is this electromagnetic, incredible um, device that is constantly sending out, you know, signals of energy and flowing up and down the spine, just as they have drawn the pictures and have meditated on, you know, for thousands of years. And we're just now starting to understand it scientifically. It, it still baffles me today to think that, you know, without all of our modern scientific equipment, that somehow five or 7,000 years ago, they knew all the stuff that our science is now proving through all this, you know, modern equipment. And it's like, do we really need all that equipment to understand, you know, what's really going on with, with our mind and body and emotions and spirit? Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting question. It's incredible. It's incredible, the knowledge. But they got most of this knowledge just looking at nature. You know, it's very interesting that that was their science, studying nature and looking how nature, how, you know, that all these exercises in Tai Chi, Qigong, they emulate movements of animals because movement is life. Electro movement, it, once you start losing movement, is that you, you eventually die because electrons, once electrons stop, they die. So you need this interchange of oxidation reduction going constantly, but not creating free radicals. You're always going to have radicals, but you don't want the free radicals. So that's this, our actual diet, what it does, it increases the, the it pushes toward the oxidation instead of having it balanced. So that's why we have to get off these 
process and refine foods because that's what damages, ages, and and puts our body in sickness in, in the pathological state. That and stress, right? And sedentarism, oh, yeah. sitting around and just yeah. getting fat and not moving our bodies and and being stressed out all the time and then eating potato chips and ice cream on top of that, you know, and not, yeah. you know, it's just... No wonder we have the sickest people in the world, the fattest people in the world, the most unhealthiest people in the world. And the problem is now that a lot of that's being glamorized. You know, I think I think it's a huge problem where we're now calling obese people, um, you know, healthy and and they're not healthy. That's a fact. They might be beautiful in inside. They might be a beautiful person. But to call a fat person healthy or beautiful in a glamorous way to try and inspire other people to also be fat and obese, that's, that's, a, that's not helping anybody. That's doing a disservice to our children, to our future generations, to our healthcare systems, right, to, to the health of people. People don't need to strive to be, you know, 150 pounds overweight, you know, and they also don't need to strive to be as skinny as a stick either. That's also not necessarily healthy. But, you know, I think corporations have taken advantage of people's compassion. Like with COVID, what I noticed really quickly was a lot of people who are compassionate, their compassion was co-opted by uh, the people in power. And so they said, hey, take this vaccine, wear these masks, lock yourself inside to save grandma, to save your neighbor, to save everybody else. And so out of compassion, you know, people complied without questioning, is that really the best thing to do? Or, or am I actually contributing? Because when you contributing to the damage, because when I started looking into the research on masking, for example, you know, I found a study that was about 15 years ago that was done at a campus with a respiratory virus and they proved at this campus with this study that um, the masks had zero improvement on the students who wore masks versus the students who didn't wear masks on a respiratory virus spreading to other students and so i found that study and i was like well, and, and then and then more studies started coming out showing that, hey, actually, you're creating this perfect environment for viruses and bacteria to replicate. It's humid. It's warm. It's moist. So, you know, you breathe in a virus and now it's in this perfect environment to replicate. You know, and I was sharing yeah. some of these things online and they were shutting down all of my accounts because of it. And it was it was but because those of us who were questioning the things we we're being told I'm a very compassionate person. Like I, I practice compassion. Um, and, and at the same time, I started realizing that if I followed everything that I was being told to do, I actually am not being compassionate. I am making it worse for other people. But you try to tell that to people at a crowded grocery store when everybody's deathly afraid because the news has told you that you know, everybody's dying and if you don't do what we tell you, you know, grandma's gonna die too. You know, and then they look at you without a mask, like you're like you're the devil. You know, it was a really, really challenging time. And I and I know still some parts of the world it is a challenging time. You know, we moved to Florida to get away from all that um, because I was just sick and tired of it and sick and tired of my family going through that. But 
um, you know, they co-opt, they co-opt your compassion. And so, you know, I think anytime that you see the media or the government, uh, I'm always, you know, um, I'm always critical or questioning whatever the government says, whatever the CDC says, whatever the FDA and FTC says, you know, always questioning, always critical of it because we know they lie. They've been caught in lies many times. More than ever, more now than ever, because we, I mean, you know, that's the way they'll control people with fear. Uh, actually, you you remember early in the in the pandemic, they they show on TV all these uh, dead people, true. And most when you see that, a lot of people died, but it was mostly people that already had conditions. And definitely, this uh, uh, virus would would enhance any of these bad conditions. So, but the thing is that. Uh, what was supposed to be the savior was not really a savior. I actually has hurt a lot of people. And it was basically because, I mean, this was pushed. And it was even Malone that uh, that had to do a lot with the development of these mRNA things. He said that they was not to be used as a vaccine. And he, he knows about it because he was involved in these things earlier. Uh, even Judy Mikovits, uh, Judy uh, also mentioned about the, the issues with uh, with not understanding really uh, infections by these different viruses, especially the COVID nineteen. So I, I mean, we mentioned a lot of these issues in that consensus paper. We kind of break down aspects of of what's the problem with the virus. Uh, uh, we mentioned uh, actually th- there's a paper we mentioned also. Uh, issues with the immune system that has been this misinformation, this inf- misinformation given by physicians and by the CDC and by the FDA about the immune system. We talked about them right there. And also, I, we mentioned about the virus, the immune system, and the vaccine, all the issues that it's really experimental and nobody knew what was going to happen. Actually, something, it's not a real vaccine in any way, because first of all, it does what it does to your body. It makes it create a toxic compound, which is the uh, the the protein S. And the problem with that is you don't know how much you're gonna do for how long and what ish and what tissues is gonna reach before you create any type of action against it. So none of these issues were known. And now you know the idea was to push this thing to eventually create make uh, make it uh, make the children get it because then they're gonna put it in these yearly vaccines and make, keep making money out of it. I mean, it's sick. I mean, it it really saddens me how physicians have been fooled, and 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 they defend, they still defending this thing, looking at all these side effects, all these damages that have been done. It has done more damage than all the other vaccines together, and still, I don't know. I mean, it's it's incredible for me. But that's how they do it with fear. Uh, you know, this is the, the boys' club, the FDA, the the American Medical Association the CDC, it's, it becomes like a boys club and it's pressure, you know, it's pressure and they don't question. Actually, when you see uh, what the physicians really learn about vaccines is very little. It's that they're effective and that it should be used. They don't know anything about it. And I have had these discussions on, on radio in Puerto Rico with different uh, infectious disease specialists. I said, and they told me that I didn't know those stuff because I was not a physician. I have a, I have a degree in, in, and natural medicine, but I'm not, I don't consider myself a physician, but I say, no, you don't understand this because you don't know biochemistry and you don't know, uh, you don't know immunology. <laughs> so we had this big discussions because 
they just accept things. They don't. They're not really looking at it. It's kind of, it's kind of, as you said, a doct an indoctrination. Uh, and it's sad because we think of these people as very intelligent, and they have left themselves being manipulated. But it is what it is. I mean, you know, fear and 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 peer pressure. That's uh, they have really. I think they have really studied this, and you know, CIA and all these people have studied how to influence, how to affect your wrath, the reticular activating system, your filter. So, you know, I wanted to bring that back up because for people who don't know what the reticular activating system is, it's a part of your brain that when you're when you're thinking about something, let's a simple example, right? Let's say I'm thinking about buying a new uh, a 2023 black Tahoe. Right, and I'm thinking about it. I'm, and the more I'm thinking about something, the more my brain looks for that thing. So anybody who's ever bought a new car has had this e example, right? Whatever car you buy, all of a sudden you see that car everywhere on the road. The same car. You've never seen that. You, you've never paid attention and noticed. You know, you bought that black Tahoe, and how many black Tahoes are on the road now? It's like, everybody just bought a black Tahoe. It's like, no, your brain just now is starting to recognize all the black Tahoes because now you own one, you know, whether you're thinking about it or you own something. So that you said that, uh, the fact that you said that these organizations understand the reticular activating system and they know basically through propaganda, right? <laughs> shouldn't use the, the, the term awareness because awareness is for the people who are, are awakened. Uh, I should use the term, it's like a focus thing. They You focus only on that, what they want you to focus in. Because if you become aware, they don't want you to become aware. And you know that it's very interesting because you, one of the things that we've been looking into, it's why we are different. And I think one of the issues is that we are more aware. And how can I increase my cog cognitive power, my awareness, and we have looking into different uh, mushrooms, and mo like uh, psilocybin, it's been it's prohibited. And I remember once I talked to Abraham Hoffer, which was a person who came up with the idea of automatic medicine. He said he came with that idea when he was on LSD, and you know that uh, Dr. Hoffer and Osman and Hoffer was the one that published mostly on on, on uh, LSD. And he said that these things are prohibited because they make you aware. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, you know, mushrooms saved my life when I was a teenager because I was completely unaware and I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and I was involved in gangs and violence and anger and rage and insecurity and on the streets and homeless and living a really, really, really challenging, completely disconnected life. And no, I wouldn't never get that from you because you seem so uh, compassionate and so, uh, you know, worried about other people. And to, which I admire you for that a lot. Mm, and I'm, I'm glad you made the change. Robert Kennedy ha had the same thing, too. Yeah. Robert yeah, Kennedy it was, Jr. It was, it was mush mushrooms. It wasn't only mushrooms, but I remember eating mushrooms. I was like 17, 18 years old. And I was at really the peak of, of basically either either going to prison for the rest of my life or or getting shot and killed i was those were the two options i had and thank god i actually found mushrooms because i started eating mushrooms and they started open opening my mind up and that's what it was verbal connections you create more neural connections yeah and it's i remember incredible. seeing i remember seeing like the trees 
like alive for the first time. And I was like, the trees are alive. They're breathing. They're, they're living. You know, I was out in nature and I was just so amazed at like how the tree was, I could feel its life force energy. And I didn't even know that term at the time, but I could feel that like I was connected to the trees and to the nature. And, you know, I had this deep connection and this realization that, wow, all the nature around me is living and breathing. And all I've been doing my whole life is destroying nature, polluting it, not caring about it. And so I started having this kind of uh, awakening moment. And then that led, you know, me to, to leaving and changing my life and then meditation. So I found meditation and I stopped, you know, I ate a lot of mushrooms for a while, for probably a few months, pretty consistently. And then I stopped uh, mushrooms and, and I stopped everything. I stopped, you know, drinking and smoking and cigarettes and weed and everything and started meditating and exercising. And I feel like, I feel like things like mushrooms can open your mind to to this higher spiritual dimension. And then we've got to do the work ourselves to go deeper into mental, emotional healing and spiritual awakening, right? And so it's funny when you say that they're not allowed because they make they open your mind and make you, you know, think for yourself, right? That's that's I think that's a powerful way to look at it. But, you know, that's what is called going to another dimension. What, what is going to another dimension? Dimension. It's changing frequency and vibration. When you go to sleep, you go to another dimension because you change your frequency and vibration. And that's the idea. Uh, once you, go, you, try, you entune this frequency with nature, it's that you feel more aware. You feel, it's like a communication with nature. I remember Shaman saying that ayahuasca is the way to, to get back to Mother, you know, to Mother Earth to communicate with Mother Earth. And it's very interesting that all these things, uh, in, in essence, they are able to, to uh, create more neural connections. And that's the way you become more aware. Your, your cognizance and all these things go. And I got, you know, there are, all, there are drugs that use, not drugs, but, but these, all, uh, they're drugs like LSD, but there's uh, these uh, uh, mushrooms that can do that directly. But I think if you use lion mane, reishi, maitake, shiitake, all of them, not to that, not as quick as, as, as psilocybin or others, but it can all, and ayahuasca, but it can also create more. Actually, that, that, this thing that I was drinking, it's my, uh, my mushroom coffee, and it's basically, uh, legal mushrooms <laughs> but i take it every day and, I, and let me tell you i think my yeah. uh my condition has improved since the pandemic from now because i i think i'm even more aware than i was uh, 20 years ago yeah i drink um, i i put a mushroom powder into my coffee in the mornings also and it's you know because there's so much science on on the power of mushrooms for brain for cognition for energy for the immune system for anti-cancer properties like, you know, just having an organic mushroom powder, three or four or five different kinds of mushrooms, I think is incredibly helpful. Uh, adding mushrooms to your diet, cooking with mushrooms. We know that, you know, mushrooms are, are a superfood. I mean, they are an incredible superfood. And, you know, we're right now we're talking about kind of like superfood mushrooms, but the psilocybin, you know, magic mushrooms, if you will. I know they were doing studies. When I lived in San Diego, they were doing studies with psilocybin uh, from those mushrooms, uh, the hallucinogenic mushrooms on uh, soldiers from war with PTSD and seeing incredible results, you know, I think even better results than, than therapy and drugs. And, 
you know, I think, I think at some point, hopefully in our lifetime, they will be destigmatized and there'll be enough science to, to support. Um, and I'm seeing it actually like with ketamine therapy, for example, you know, ketamine is a the hippies make love, not war, you know, right. being in love with nature, you know, so it, it's kind of settled you down. So maybe yeah. we need more of that. <laughs> maybe be complex and, and, and mushrooms in water. That will be <laughs> If our politicians and, and, you know, heads of governments, you know, went out into the mountains and ate some mushrooms and had some good trips, I think, I think we'd have some better, <laughs> better governments, uh, making better decisions. So back to your paper on, uh, this consensus paper, what, what are some of the, I mean, I know you all kind of agreed on, um, an approach I don't know if you call it a treatment for COVID, but an approach for COVID, uh, a healing approach, a natural healing approach for COVID protocol. What's the protocol that you all have kind of come to a consensus on that can help the body, you know, defend itself against COVID or any variation of it? We basically talked about all the issues pertaining the virus, pertaining the immune system and pertaining the vaccine. We only give a little brief touch on what we think would work. But as I told you, we have this paper. Uh, we Well, we actually have the paper of the cases that we use, the high-dose IV vitamin C. I think IV vitamin C, if you can't you do anything other than that, that will be fine. That will help you a lot. But there's other things as NAC. NAC, uh, at least about three grams of NAC will help you a lot. Quercetin, zinc, quercetin will work as an ionophore and carry zinc inside the cell. Zinc, at least 25 milligrams. If you increase more than 25 milligrams, you have to add at least two milligrams of copper so it could be balanced because not if you'll create a deficiency in copper, which is not a good idea too. So uh, NAC, I told you, and we, you know, we think also that uh, there's other things like something, a tea, a pine needle tea, it's something that uh, could be used also. It has very antiviral effects. And I use, I when I got COVID, I use all these things. And it took me like three days. And the pro, it took me three days to recover. Let me tell you why. Because I got it on Friday and the doctor's office was closed uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I don't, I didn't get vitamin C till Monday. Then I got vitamin C Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then I was working on Thursday. I was positive to revival, but I had no no uh, uh, no symptoms. And and I got twenty five grams. Then I got fifty. Then I got fifty. I got, in total in three days, I got one hundred twenty five grams. Wow, one hundred twenty five grams of vitamin C. Yeah, yeah. You can't get that. You know, you could you could try and get it in a liposomal, but even then, you can't get that that much. You it, know. Tell you the delivery is different. It, yeah. It's it, like someone it's okay, but it doesn't work as fast as the crystal part. And yeah. it, in the in the and actually, you know, we've been in a lot of talks. I don't know if you know Steve Hickey, who's from England. He's a he's an excellent scientist, biologist. He he has a way where he calls. Let me see if I remember the name. Uh, it's it's a dynamic flow because he thinks that you orally can attain sufficient vitamin C. Uh, to simulate the IV, but it's you know we talked about it and it's it's a possibility of 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 absorbing most of vitamin C if you use this model 
it's it's kind of very similar to what we call the bowel tolerance dose. It's like taking three grams every hour, but it's not really that much practical. And you're never going to enhance vitamin C in 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 uh, in blood as high. But you know, it's another issue. You can maintain it at certain level pretty high with the dynamic flow, which you cannot do with the IV. The IV will go very high and then it'll go, it will sleep down. But in that time that it's high, it has a very physiological, different physiological impact. So what we have, what we have to look now is if if that uh, uh, high, you know, that time of that gets high, if you could equal it with having even a lower dose, but more persistent, you know, more consistent. So we don't really know. We don't really know. He thinks it can do a similar job. But, you know, it's a practical thing that it's not that easy. That's what I did on Friday. I took it. I took it. I took like 20 grams orally. And let me tell you, I didn't develop diarrhea, which is it's the signal that you had enough. I, I never developed. So probably that infection needed more. I remember a word of Robert Cathcart who developed this bubble tolerant dose. He said, oh, that's an influence of 100 grams. So you needed to take 100 grams to really stop it. <laughs> and then you have to do that for about three days. At, at least when you get uh, diarrhea, you 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 reduce three uh, about three grams. And then that quantity, you take it for three days. And most of the infections will will, will be settled with that. But yeah. uh, But it's difficult. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and you're in, and when you're taking it at home, you're taking it in, in a capsule, in a tablet, in what, what kind of form? The best form will be the powder, the yeah. crystal powder. That will be yeah. the best form. Let me tell you one, one of the reasons is that it's absorbed pretty well, but it's also, uh, it's being a crystal. It, it electronically it moves better and it integrates better the physiological system. That's why I prefer it over liposomal, although. Some people cannot take this because it's too acid for them. So they'll need the liposomal form. But the liposomal form, it, it may work, but it takes longer because it has to integrate into the system in a different way. What's interesting, but, uh, what's interesting to me is about how all of the same things for a viral infection like COVID are the same things that you know we're having cancer patients do to enhance their body's ability to fight against the cancer cells, right? Because it's, it really comes down to um, modulating your immune system, kicking on your immune system, as well as, you know, things that will help to destroy the cancer cells. But a lot of things are the same, the vitamin C, the vitamin D, right? The, you know, in in, uh, the different protocols for enhancing your immune system, the, what I'm telling you about the mechanism is basically, for example, if you have cancer, you need high dose like every other day. When you have an infection, you could you should give it constantly every day. The thing is that the one of the main mechanisms in cancer is that you want to create uh peroxide. And the peroxide in order and then you want the peroxide to damage the cell. If you give vitamin C continuously, you may restore vitamin C and create less peroxide. And you don't want that in cancer. It doesn't matter that much when you have an infection because you, what you want to increase is vitamin C in general, because the per, it's it's uh, it would in, it would enhance T cell uh, lymphocytes in general, and and they have all these uh, receptors for uh, their their glute receptors. So those glute receptors, you want to increase vitamin C in order to increase peroxide inside the T cells. 
that's why the competition you cannot you should not take any sugar when you have an infection because it will it will it will come com, compete with vitamin C and you don't want that even with cancer it's the same thing but that that's why you you do it every other day because you put the vitamin C vitamin C gets into the cells creates the peroxide the peroxide then attacks the cancer cell and then you want that to go on and it, it is a cycle about 48 72 hours and that's what you want to do. But in, in, in infections, we see that it's even better when you give it constantly, like every day for three days at least. You see a, a, a diminishing in even bacterial load, viral load, and symptomatology in general. Yeah, so it's it, interesting that it's... It is. There's, so, there's such similarities. It works for everything. Once you, I mean, uh, the state of health, it, it 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 could be managed mostly almost the same way. Sometimes you vary a little bit uh, supplementation, but the diet and the things, the rest, as you say, less stress, all that stuff is the same in 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 not only in degenerative disease and infectious disease as well. Yeah, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, neurological disease. You know, I look at all these disease. You know, I've spent over a decade really focused specifically on cancer, but in the last few years you know, have really looked into a lot of research on heart disease, diabetes, uh, autoimmune disease, neurological diseases. And at the end of the day, the conclusion I came to is, you know, all of these diseases, these lifestyle related diseases are from, they're, they're just different branches of the exact same tree. That's it. Right. And if you address the root issues of that tree of, of, of health and of disease, and those root issues are almost exactly the same slight variations but almost exactly the same then you address these things that we call diseases which are really just imbalances it's just our body out of balance with you know the state that it's meant to be in we're meant to be in a state of health our body's always fighting or or regenerating looking for health it's trying to heal itself it's trying to regenerate it's trying to rejuvenate and all we have to do is support that a little bit with the right foods, the right herbs, you know, meditation, relaxation, good sleep, you know, mushrooms, different vegetables, you know, enjoying life, laughing, living a good life, you know, contributing to others. All we have to do is support that and our bodies will thrive. And, and it's trying, I mean, imagine the how much we can destroy our bodies, right? Smoking cigarettes every day, drinking alcohol every day, uh, you know, not sleeping well, staying up all night, partying, not exercising, pollutants and chemicals and toxins and sugar. We can just pollute our bodies for years and years and years and years. Our body's doing everything it can to try and survive and thrive until eventually you're 45 or 55 or 65 and boom, now it just, it can't take anymore. Eventually, it can't take it, yep. right? That's what we saw with COVID was the, 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 it was something, it was over 90%, I believe, from the CDC, over 90 or 95% of all COVID hospitalizations and deaths were from people who had three and a half or more comorbidities, meaning that people had three plus chronic health issues already that had been developing for decades and then boom, COVID hits and it's, it's, the, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And it's sad and unfortunate, but as a society, we can address that. We have the solutions for that. And it's not drugs. It's not pharmaceuticals. It's not chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. Those are not the solutions for health. 
Those are the solutions for trying to manage and fight disease, and they don't do a very good job of it. But we have the solutions for health, and it's called a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle. We wrote a paper which we talk about metabolic correction and physiological modulation as the mechanisms for the healthy state. And that's basically what you've been saying. So how do we get this? Yep. How do we how do we help, you know, the rest of the world understand this? You know, that's I mean, that's what you're doing with the science. That's what I'm doing with the podcast and the work I do. But, you know, it's like. I, I, I hate to see yeah. people suffer. I hate to see people suffer needlessly. Yeah. I hate to see people when, you know, because they've got bad information or no information at all because top journals won't publish your your papers, right? Because they don't want it out into the public. Like it, it's making people suffer needlessly. And I think if with the right information, the right support, you know, and you need to be inspired as well, either – Unfortunately, through pain and suffering, which is a terrible way to be inspired, but it can move us to action, or through yeah, the, the, the desire of living a good life. But we need the inspiration yeah, as well. The only, way, the only way to change this, it's sad, but I have to say it, the only way that you could change this manipulation of the RAS, it's by an emotional shock. So you see many of these physicians that are blind or 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 sleeping or zombies of the establishment, as I say, uh, once they get a, they get sick themselves or fa or a close fam family member gets sick, it's that when they, they wake up. And it's sad that it has to happen, but that's the only way, an emotional shock. It's nothing else that will get you out of that, uh, uh, that uh, I don't know how to even mention it, that zombie state. It's zombie an emotional state. shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's like being a zombie, it's true. And it's an emotional shock. And I don't know if we can do this just by speaking, but <laughs> but uh, at least we have to appeal to science, to do real science. The yeah. science that challenge, the science that wants, that's paradigm. Uh, because the only way that science advances is with these uh, paradigm changing uh, ideas, with cutting edge and paradigm changing ideas. That's the only way science can. And we have to challenge those who think they are intelligent they should question these things. I'm not saying that I'm going to convince them with what I say. Read what I read what I wrote, and tell you if 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 you're intelligent enough, it should at least make you question some things. Mm -hmm. And that's where you start questioning some things and looking for more information and being aware. They don't. That's why they censor you. They don't want you to see that information because if you're intelligent enough, you'll be convinced that it's not what they're saying. That is a whole lot different story. <laughs> you know, I think one of the best things that people can adopt, one of the best things that's helped me in my life is a mentor of mine early on. I was probably 20 years old, and he really inspired me to have a deep desire for truth, to seek truth to understand truth, to always look for truth and core truths. So having that deep desire, like a, a willingness and an openness to question my own belief systems, to question what I believe to be true, to question what anybody else tells me, what, whatever science tells me, whatever government tells me, whatever corporations tells me, what anybody tells me. Uh, so not only questioning my own beliefs, is that really true? But then questioning 
uh, external beliefs. Is that really true? And I want to find the truth. I want to know the truth, you know, not, not from a religious perspective necessarily, or not from a, you know, scientism perspective necessarily, but, but a, a core truth. And I think just having that, having that philosophy, I know in my life has helped me so much. That's awareness. That's consciousness. And, and it's I, a choice, though. It's a choice that I don't think I don't you know, I wasn't taught that as a kid. I don't think kids are taught that. And if we if we teach our kids that and we we practice that ourselves, we may never know all the truth of everything. Of course not. But I think we're better equipped to really, you know, our bullshit meters can get triggered better if we're seeking the truth. Like, is that really true? That doesn't sound true. Let me look deeper into that. Right. But and they are convinced that that's the truth. That's the problem. Yeah. They are convinced that that's the truth. How the CDC could be wrong, the FDA, you know, uh, we that's not what they tell us in the school of medicine, you know. Right. And, and the Boys Club, that's medical, so the, uh, the American Medical Association tells us that's true. So it's, it has to be true. How this guy from Puerto Rico is going to convince me that I'm not saying the truth? He's. Uh, I remember you. There was one guy, one physician that said uh, that said, ah, how he's talking about quantum physics. He only has a doc. He has a. He's a doctor in nutrition. What a doctor in nutrition would know. I said, well, I have a doctor in nutrition. I have one in natural medicine, and I have one in biochemistry. I didn't want to show all my all these things because that's ego, and I'm not an ego guy. I mean, yeah. that's the that's one of the things that not doesn't permit you advance in consciousness if you're ego. But sometimes you have to show your 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 uh, accolades or something because. Uh, and then let me tell you what he said. He said, ah, now the mitochondria has eyes that could see the colors of the lasers. I said, don't be stupid. You have to understand that it's <laughs> frequencies and vibrations that are interpreted by chromophores that are in different parts of the body. You got to so, tell him, don't be stupid. Of course, they don't have eyes. Like, it's vibration. That's <laughs> just funny to, to imagine. These people, you're never going to convince them if you treat them that way. Yeah. You have to treat them like kids, like kids. That, okay, come here, kid. I want to teach you something. Yeah. And you have to pass the hand to their head and say, look, this is the way things are. And <laughs> because if you do it that way, you're never going to convince them. But I, you know, I, it got the, the back part of me. And I, you know, it got the, I, I it got the green beast inside me out. So <laughs> the Hulk, the Hulk came out. Come on, stupid. What are you doing? <laughs> But it's not the best way. I have learned a lot to kind of set. I'm older now. I think it's part of that too. To settle myself and I get mad. I count to 10 and I said, look, you know, instead of being mad, I should be sorry for these people because they're so lost. And, you know, I had another encounter similar to that when I said, okay, let's do one thing. You read my paper and then we talk. And you tell me what you find that it's wrong, what you don't, what you don't understand. But they don't want. He's a physician; he'll understand everything, you know. <laughs> but he, they never. You know, most of them will never do that. They Only won't. The, the problem is they don't. If your belief system is so close-minded, which so many people's is, and so many doctors are, they won't even look at the paper. That's the problem because they believe it to already be false. And so they won't even look at it as an opportunity that maybe they could be wrong. You're totally and, correct. Yep. I've seen it. I've seen it again and again. I say, you know, I've said the same thing. I said, well, look, let me send you this research. No, yeah, they're not even interested. They're not even interested in it because there's no way that they, everything that they were taught up to that point could be wrong. Yeah. 
and it's a sad, it is a sad way to live. I feel sorry for, for people like that as well, because, you know, if you're that close minded, you will, you will never discover the truth. That, but yourself. you're not a real scientist. You are a scientism guy, not a exactly. scientist. Right, because scientists, why don't you talk about what science, what good science actually is? Because isn't good science well, being, let me tell being you. open to debate and questioning things and, and having a skeptic's mind, you know, isn't, isn't that really part of what science is about? Well, let me tell you that I had a big issue in my school. I wanted to do a symposium to talk about that vaccine, and they said no. Because it will show that it will people will think we're against the vaccine. I said, what 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 the hell happens if we're against the vaccine? If it's wrong, it's wrong. <laughs> we're not here to uh become, you know, to to uh give uh approval to the uh, to whatever it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's wrong, it's wrong. We will have the symposium decide what if it's wrong or not. They didn't let me do it. And I said, well, I'm going to publish all this stuff and I'm going to put the name of the school. So I said, yeah, yeah, but don't do a symposium here. <laughs> but <laughs> no, the thing is, you know, scientism, it's, it's that with the tools that they have, if they cannot explain something, it's not true or, uh, or, or you know, it's wrong or it's not true. And the, and the, sci the real scientists will evaluate everything. And I mean, for me, I'm always been cutting edge, paradigm changing for the good or for the bad. But I think it's the only way science can advance. And let me tell you, the company that I that I am with, it's good. It's Alva San Giorgi who said, discovery is seeing what everybody else has seen, but thinking what nobody else has thought. And Linus Pauling, that's a pretty good group. And Otto Warburg. So those are Nobel Prize winners. And I have learned from them. We have to be cutting edge, paradigm changing if we want to make this world a better place. And we have to challenge everything, uh, even our beliefs, as you said, because it's it's the way that you encounter the real truth. It's when you look at everything at every point of view and then you decide, you know, you cannot decide if you're just going to one point of view. You have to see different points of view and then decide. And that's how science should be. Yeah, it's sad that it's, come to the come to the place like you just said well no we can't be seen as against the vaccine it's like you're not supposed to be for or against That's anything true. you're supposed to find the truth and share what that truth is that's it it doesn't matter what the end result is you're whatever is best for humanity that's the way we should go yeah exactly yeah that's uh well at least you could at least you were able to publish your papers so that's good that they didn't stop at least that. you could google them up so <laughs> a lot of them are in PubMed, but a, a, a lot of them are not so but if you google them yeah you could get you could reach them out and let me tell you i think it's important for us to leave all this written because uh it's kind of a scientific explanation to all these things that we've been talking for many years And we're giving it a, a scientific explanation, a real scientific, not a scientism explanation, a scientific explanation. And it, it has gained, we have gained respect of a lot of people. And I think that's important. But more important than that, it's how we can help humanity. I mean, that's the big issue. The legacy, it's for humanity, man. And I think one of the issues is we want to really overcome cancer, even in, in late stages. And we have been pretty successful with the early stages, but we haven't been that successful with, uh, you know, with the late stages. And actually here, I'm, I'm going to show it in camera. 
this one of our patients that I have dearly. She's her name is Gladys Isabel. She died of a hold it, hold it. Oh, there you go. Sorry, hold it, hold it back a little bit. I have it here to inspire me. She's a little girl. I I still feel hard. It's hard for me. And we tried all that we could. And I mean, I'm sure we helped her, uh, her quality of life and everything and expand her life, but we couldn't save her. And I don't want to pass through that again. And we're working hard for it. And I haven't heard for inspiration. And it's hard on me, I mean, you know, but it should be that way because it inspires me more to work harder. Yeah. So here we are, you know, working at it. And every day we try to, you know, bring some more information to help physicians, scientists, everybody understand. But it's the issue that you said. I mean, it's simple things. I mean, these cancers are different. These are probably that they were exposed to some toxins sometimes when they were in, in the, you know, in their mother's uh, belly and stuff. But uh, so it's difficult, so, you know, but it's hard. It's hard. Well, I, I love that you have her photo there because, you know, imagine if every doctor, every scientist had a photo of somebody they really care about you know, that they look at every day that they, they realize and remind themselves of what they're doing this work for. Right. It's like, I'm trying to, trying to find solutions and, and the answers to help people to live better, you know? And, and I think a lot of people lose sight of that in the project, in the research, in the, in the job, because, you know, face it, I mean, being a doctor is very hard. You know, yeah. being, being a doctor is very hard and, and they, you know, they just get bombarded with case after case after case. And, you know, and then it turns into this, well, I just, I got to help as many people as possible. So the fastest way is, well, let's do a quick little history. Let's see what's going on. Let's take some tests and let's give some drugs because the drugs give some immediate results. Yeah. Immediate symptom relief. Yeah. So, so you feel like you're doing good for the person. So most doctors feel like, Hey, I'm helping the patient. But if they sat back and took some time off and questioned, am I really helping people? Am I helping people get better? Am I helping people get healthier? Am I helping people overcome these diseases? Those are the doctors that I meet and have met over the last 15 years who left conventional medicine. They they're were, functional medicine doctors. <laughs> yeah, now they're functional medicine doctors because when they ask that question, they go, I'm not actually helping people get better, and that's why I became a doctor. So then they learn functional medicine, integrative medicine, natural medicine, you know, and they go, wow, we can actually help people by changing their diet and their lifestyle and improving their health in all these different ways, and they're so much happier and more fulfilled. They became aware. <laughs> they became but, aware, yeah. You know that the – the, the I think the basis of this is orthomolecular medicine. I always mention that functional medicine is the clinical practice of orthomolecular medicine. And we're even changing it. We have now a different term. We call it bio-orthophotonics, which is the, the evolution of orthomolecular medicine going into energy, frequency, and vibration. That's another paper that's coming. And we're inviting uh, James Osterman to be part of it. That's exciting because, you know, I practice Qigong every day, which is an ancient Chinese 
uh, form of energy medicine. Uh, I studied with this Qigong master, uh, Master Ming Tong Gu in Santa Fe, New Mexico for a couple of years, worked with him really closely. And what I saw, and I've done a few documentaries with people who have healed incurable diseases by using energy medicine, by using Qigong, mm -hmm. by just connecting and you know, in Qigong, the, the, the understanding is disease all comes from the same place. And that place is stuck energy. It's energy that is trapped for some reason. And it could be from your diet and lifestyle. It could be from trauma. It could be from emotions. It could be from different things, from stress, anxiety. But the, the energy through your body, through your organs, through your cells is not moving properly. And through the practice through the, <clears throat> the meditation, visualization, <clears throat> even through sound, excuse me, <clears throat> you can move that energy and then you see incredible results happen. <clears throat> even changes in dimension, as I mentioned to you earlier, that these shamans do with, with, uh, with, uh, with sound. Uh, they, they put you in a trance, in a specific dimension. So all this is important. All these, the movement of energy is the most important thing. It has to be moving. Electrons have to be moving. If not, we're not alive. I think energy medicine is a major part of the future of medicine. And it's really cool that you're, you know, through COVID, uh, it's led you to research, you know, quantum mechanics and really dive into energy medicine because I think the more doctors and scientists who dive into it and understand it and want to share it, and explore it and help more people understand it, you know, we can, we can, I think we can resolve a lot of health problems by realizing that everything's energy and we have the control through our brains, through our minds, through our hearts to direct that energy towards healing and towards health because everything's vibration and we have the ability to literally manipulate and transform that vibration. Um, well, Tesla said, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. So I did a documentary on Dr. Cynthia Lee. She was a medical doctor, uh, really, um, really well-respected medical doctor. And she got in, in California and she ended up getting really sick. And she, you know, they tried to figure out what was going on with her. She ended up with chronic fatigue, ended up with dysautonomia ended up being bedridden um, and all kinds of issues going on, autoimmune disease. And she got to the point where she couldn't get out of bed for months, even wow. years. And she knew that conventional medicine didn't, there's a medical doctor who all she knew was conventional medicine, but a part of her knew that conventional medicine had no real solutions for her. The same thing happened to Dr. Wall with yeah. multiple sclerosis. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Dr. Terry Walls. Exactly. Yep. And she healed herself, you know, through that. I did a whole podcast with her actually on the Walls Protocol. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, her story is amazing. But Dr. Cynthia Lee, she was doing everything, diet and supplements and all that stuff. And it wasn't working. Like she'd see little improvements, but then she'd regress, little improvements regress. And so she wasn't, even with all the, the diet changes and supplementation, all of that, she wasn't really getting better. And then she found energy medicine. She found Qigong. And she couldn't even get up to practice it 
out of bed. So she would visualize herself practicing it. And she, she would get a little better. She'd get a little better. She'd get a little more energy. She'd get a little more energy to the point That's where she... That's what Ansel also did. He, when, he got, when he got injured, he imagined himself reconstructing his body, and he did. I mean, incredibly. Oh, you're talking about... Um, um, no, Dispenza. Dispenza, yeah. So, so Dr. Cynthia, so she got to the point where she could practice standing, and then she could practice every day for, from 5 minutes to 10 to 20, and then she started practicing... Even up to even up to a few hours a day, you know, spread throughout the day, and all of a sudden, she got to the point where she got her entire life back. She got she was because she was athletic. She would go, you know, hiking and camping with her kids and her family and all this stuff. And 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 all of a sudden, she couldn't do that for years and years. And just through qigong, through energy medicine, she was able to heal all of this stuff going on. And got to the point where you know she wrote a book about it. She talks about it. She travels, and now she's an amazing person. But to see somebody like her, and she's one out of many, many cases like that that where energy medicine helped them heal from incurable diseases. And I really think it is you know the way of the future. It's yeah. a way of the past too. It's the way of the, it's the ancient medicine, thousands of years old, and, <laughs> and the way of the future. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, all these ideas have really get me back to the Chinese and Ayurveda medicine. I mean, you know, it's incredible how these people, they were right. And and that's all these, now we have all these advancements in technology. We should use it in order to enhance energy. And I, I, I'm looking into different things, as I told you about IV lasers, intravenous lasers, a hyperbaric chamber, infrared saunas, all these things are, you could tie them together and have a whole protocol to restore uh, the the healthy state. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, you know, and that's, that's kind of my, that's kind of what I do uh, with my own life is, you know, I do Qigong every morning. I do an ice bath. I do infrared sauna, I exercise, I use PEMF, pulse electromagnetic frequency therapy, right? Like all these things to help increase, you know, my performance as an athlete, improve my recovery, help prevent disease, help increase longevity and health and vitality. Because you have to feel very good if you're doing all that stuff. I'm, I'm- <laughs> well, yeah. and I, I put my body through a lot. I mean, I'll train, I'll train hard and heavy. Um, you know, four, four to five hours a day, uh, many days. So I'm destroying my body every single day. Very, very hard weights and cardio and Olympic weightlifting and running. And, you know, a lot of, I'm just destroying my body every day. So it's like, for me, I, I have to do, well, I, I believe I need to do these things. I do, to, some, to I do some exercise. I don't do it as strong as I used to, because I don't have much time, but I always take at least one hour to do uh, sometimes I roll weight, most of the time weight weights. Uh, but one of the things I destroy my body is playing basketball. I still play master basketball, but my knee is all messed up, my left knee, and I go destroy it. And then I get I get injected with BPC one fifty seven. I get exosomes, stem cells, and everything. And then I go destroy myself again. <laughs> well, well, at least the electrons are moving, you know. So <laughs> what's interesting is you know a lot of my cancer research and the research that I've and 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 coaching other cancer patients through their own health protocols 
has led me to discovering these things for my own health as an athlete, you know? So it's funny because it's like the same stuff that you're going to do to help prevent or fight against cancer. It's the same stuff you're going to do to increase your human performance and human optimization. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of, it's the same stuff, you know, maybe different intensities and different levels, but it's, it's the same, very similar, uh, protocols. You know, I think one of the things that I am proud of, it's that I've been able to put all these things kind of together. And I'm really proud of that because there's a lot of information, isolated information on different things. And we try to compile them together and make them make sense yeah. with mechanistics views of how these work. And basically everything is energy, Nathan. Everything is energy, man. It's incredible. I love, uh, I love that that's the direction you're headed in your research. I know you've got some papers on you know quantum mechanics already and i'm excited to see what more you publish so please keep sending them to me as you as you put them out there and that's the next one it's called bio bio orthophotonics the evolution of orthomolecular medicine nice <laughs> the, the one, that's the next one coming so, uh, so it, if people want to you know read your papers they want to support your work they want to find you like where where can they find you online well, the best thing, it's my email. It's michael.gonzalez with Z at the end, five, michael.gonzalez5 at upr.edu. michael.gonzalez5 at upr.edu. Yep. Okay. And I answer all the, all, everybody that writes to me, I will answer. I may not answer quickly, but I will eventually answer. And, and, um, and the orthomolecular uh, website has all of your all of your uh, articles published. Uh, there's some there, but probably not all of them. But uh, if you're interested in something, you could ask me for it, or you could Google up my name and the topic, and it'll probably appear. Okay, good. Are you on social media or anything like that? Facebook, basically. Twitter, yeah. also. Okay, so they didn't. They they didn't kick you off Facebook. They did for three days because I said vitamin C uh, can uh, can be used as therapy for uh, COVID nineteen. So they kicked me for three days. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> they punish you for trying to help people. It's yeah. nuts. And it's nuts. I, actually, I didn't say anything against the vaccine. I just said that vitamin C uh, <laughs> could help you treat COVID nineteen. Well, it's a good therapy for COVID nineteen, and I was kicked out for three days. Yep. Yeah, Facebook jail. Been there, been there more than once. Been in Facebook jail more than once, and um, it's sad what's going on with censorship. But thank you, thank you for the work that you have done. You've done a tremendous amount of work. Um, it's been fun talking to you, Nathan. Man, it was a great time getting to meet you and talk with you as well. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate, seriously, you know the the amount of effort and time and energy and passion and love that you put into your work and into, you know, it's, it's not easy researching these things and pulling together all of these, you know, co-authors and publishing these papers and you've done hundreds of them. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what you've done. So thank you. And so please keep doing it. We need it. We need to do that. I mean, it's the only way science can advance and we're trying to help the most people that we can. So we have to leave that legacy. Well, you, you, you publish it and then bring it to me and then we'll share it with the world. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'd also like to thank Dr. Uh, Jorge Miranda, who has been uh, 
of great help to me in all these publications and Dr. and and the engineer Jose Olalde who has sponsored many of this research and stuff. So uh, and Dr. Hugh Riordan, uh, who was my mentor uh, in the in the Center for Improvement of Human Functioning, now the Riordan Clinic. So uh, I owe a lot of these things to him, Linus Pauling, Abraham Hoffer, Andrew Soule, uh, and and now I'm a good friend of yours too. And 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 I, I also you you're uh, telling me that you appreciate my work and I appreciate yours because that's the only way these things could get out there because of your work and your your commitment and your dedication. So I appreciate that and I thank you for that too. My pleasure, my pleasure. All right, thank you so much. That's it. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And, you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort. It cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful what, for what you have achieved.